0: Testing, testing, one, two, three, one, two, three, it's very quiet, we need to turn this up.
1: It's Friday, September 20th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master Student in Civil Engineering and Parliamentary Gift Shop fan. And with me uh, today is Robin Pasco, Editor-in-Chief of Dutch News and Political Interview Critic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 Welcome to the podcast again, uh, Robin. Thank you for uh, filling in because um, Gordon has left us. Uh, We thought he went to Trente, but apparently he uh, went the other way. He's in Bristol. I know. Sneaky. Um, Very sneaky. Very sneaky indeed. Uh, So thank you for filling in. My pleasure. Um, But you've been, um, yeah, uh, critically reading political interviews uh, recently, haven't you?
0: Well, yeah, I've been a bit kind of surprised. I mean, Franz Timmermans is quite quiet, uh, hasn't done much, and he does this great big interview and uh, all they did is ask him about would he work with the Veve day and nothing about his politics nothing about what his plans were for the country just sort of talked about old hat stuff again and i thought what was the point of that uh, it, it's very peculiar and i've i i do not know i don't know you read it too paul what did you think am i
1: mad um, no, but I think this is just uh, the way political interviews are done uh, in the Netherlands. Um, we, we've seen another interview with Thierry Baudet. Yeah, of, uh, what was that about? Democracy it was the same thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, nothing, nothing about his, uh, his, uh, his policy proposals, nothing about uh, his, uh, um, his party manifesto. It was just some comments about current affairs and, um, yeah, and explaining that, the fact it. he's mad,
0: you know, and we all know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, I think that's just part of the part of the interview tradition here in the Netherlands. So um yeah, but but I think you're right. Uh, we we definitely need some more um, yeah uh, critical approaches by journalists if, when it comes to party manifestos and what the plans are. What, why it differs from uh, previous uh, uh, proposals, for example, just yeah. some comparison with others. Uh, I agree, we need that, and um, yeah, it is uh, just something that uh, yeah.
0: I mean, the one political question political
1: journalists seem to avoid.
0: The one question I'd like to ask them them all is: you all want you know curbs on immigration, but. Nobody's actually saying, how do you think you're going to do that when you're part of the EU and there are laws and uh, you can't just close the borders? It's impossible. But nobody ever seems to question the sort of how do you think you're going to go about doing this? It's uh, it's most peculiar. And then, of course, we've got in a great Peter Omzicht who hasn't actually come out with a manifesto yet at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah, even though, uh, and this is actually uh, uh, part of one of the one of the segments we we're going to discuss later. We have a uh, a debate coming up, uh, a televised debate, uh, the first debate of the campaign that's coming up on Sunday. Uh, Peter Omsigt is one of the four politicians who is taking part in the debate, and he doesn't even have a party manifesto. So, technically speaking, we don't even know what what his new party uh, stands for, what their proposals are. I mean, we have a broad image of uh, what Peter zich stands for, right? Yeah. a More trustworthy government, and uh, um, yeah, some uh, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, but what what his detailed proposals are, we we have no idea. And how can you debate that? I mean, that's the point of the debate, right? Debating yeah. uh, all the ideas and the proposals. Um and yeah we we don't know what uh, what he stands for yet. No, well it will be an interesting uh, one to follow. Yeah. Um yeah and I've been um uh uh, spending my time on the internet, and I, I, I uh, 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 bumped into uh, the parliamentary gift shop of the United Kingdom. And I uh, regular listeners know that I'm a huge fan of the of the gift shop of the Tweede Kamer. But when I saw what uh, the the houses of uh, Parliament was offering, uh, it is it is. Uh, uh, it is uncomparable to what you can find in, in The Hague. I mean, tell um, me, tell was, me, what
0: did you find?
1: So, uh, for example, what you can buy in the uh, House of Commons uh, gift shop. Um, how about uh, the parliamentarian blended Scotch whiskey, uh, which is uh, hand picked by the by the speaker? How about the glasses case with uh, with the inscription "The eyes have it." Oh my god For for 17 euros It's yours uh, Coughlings With On one of them Eyes And the other one Nose, nose. Um, A Houses of Commons Christmas jumper For 50 euros We want that um, We want that We're going to buy one for Gordon Yeah We should definitely shoot He's a great fa- He's a huge fan Of, of terrible Christmas jumper. So we j- I we think should that's, definitely that's do the that. The
0: only choice really Isn't it Perfect yeah. Well done And
1: then and then the House of Lords also has a uh, uh, gift shop. Uh, how about a horseshoe coin purse? Uh, it's made of real leather, 24 euros, quite cheaply. Or okay. the House of Lords golf tee set. So uh, golf tees with the uh, with the, uh, the the portcullis of the House of Commons inscripted in them. I mean, the, the ridiculous gifts. But I want it all. So uh, yeah, I think I'm going to spend all my uh, 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 all my all my Christmas money on uh, on on this gift shop. Like a, a, a hip flask with leather cover i mean great great gift excellent yes. gift
0: well i know where to go you know for all those difficult people um and as i say <laughs> maybe we should uh, ask our listeners for donations to get the one for for gordon the jumper because definitely. that's definitely yes. got to happen
1: and that uh, brings us to the uh, Op of the Week. And uh, when the world is on fire, people don't seem to uh, care too much about trivialities and minor problems that turn into uh, storms of a teacup. Um, that's pretty devastating for the Op of the Week segment. But uh, fortunately for me, visitors of the Van Gogh Museum never disappoint. A couple of weeks ago the museum in Amsterdam introduced a Pokemon hunt as part of its 50th anniversary. And after completion of all assignments, visitors could get a reward in the form of a special Pokemon card depicting Pikachu as the famous Dutch painter with the grey felt hat. The promotion stunt proved so popular that it immediately led to chaotic scenes at the museum's gift shop where the card could be collected. Videos on social media showed people pushing, cutting lines and yelling. The chaos kept worsening over the weeks and that forced the van gogh museum to stop handing out the cards altogether out of safety concerns they said we had to make this hard decision because a small group of individuals created an undesirable situation and they uh, possibly refer to the uh, small group of people that were interviewed by the nos who said who said they are spending their days collecting the cards and selling them online someone said uh, he went there like 15 times or something uh, a day. It was uh, really ridiculous. The cards currently go for 150 euros a piece on Marktplatz. So it's quite lucrative. Someone said uh, he earned 10,000 euros with selling the cards. So um, yeah easy money Uh, (laughs) that's true and uh, but for those who uh, want to pay normal prices you just have to wait until january 7th that was uh, that's when the promotion was supposed to end and after that the cards are sold by a number of dutch shops as well as on the website of the pokemon center
0: but you realize that's not enough
1: for the
0: um for the fans they've got to have one that was picked up i'm actually negotiating a purchase at this very moment uh, really? Yes, because I have a uh, a son who's thirty two and an enormous Pokemon <laughs> fan, and I've decided that's his Christmas present. Oh, uh, that's really nice. Yeah, but I am being, you know, I'm actually negotiating with a thirteen year old who is proving extremely tough. <laughs>
1: But, uh, it's the VOC
0: mentality. It, it's the it's VOC. Unbelievable. Mentality. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and I you know, I wanna guarantee this has not been taken out of its plastic, that it's come from the Bangkok, <laughs> you know. It's gotta be certified. This is gonna be on the Antiques Roadshow, you know, or Kunstone Kitchen in, in fifty years' time. It's gotta be the real, the genuine article. So uh, there maybe, you go.
1: Maybe you can offer some tulip bulbs in return. Perhaps that's uh, I don't that's think that would go down well with this thirteen nope. year old. Mm. No, no, no.
0: No, he, he knows. He knows what it's worth. He's done his research. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm going to win. I'm going to get a good prize. You just need to
1: find a. You just need to find a dumber child uh, Robin. I
0: can't. They, they don't want. They're all fans. <laughs> they want to keep them. You know. I mean. I don't. Yeah. What I don't get about this whole thing is that Van Gogh Museum didn't cross their minds if this was going to happen. I mean, do we not remember yeah. Pokemon Go where they had to close yeah, exactly. off the dunes? You know. I mean. Yeah. And it's not gone away, this ridiculous passion, you know, quite mad.
1: This week, there were several demonstrations, both in support of Israel and Palestine. We take a look at the Dutch News poll on readers' political preferences. Rob Jette announced new investments in the Dutch electrical grid. The Tweede Kamer wants an end to the toeslag on plastic products. Joran van der Sloot finally confessed in an Alabama courthouse. And the Orange Cricket team sensationally beat South Africa in Dharamsala. The crisis on the Gaza Strip also dominates the news in the Netherlands. Several demonstrations in support of Palestine have taken place all over the country, with the largest being held in Amsterdam, where some 15,000 people gathered in Dam Square on Sunday. Demonstrators held Palestinian flags and chanted Free Palestine, and after several speeches they marched to Westerpark. The demonstration came a few days after several thousands came together at Dam Square, showing their support for Israel. Amsterdam officials gave the go-ahead for the pro-Palestine protest on condition the marchers didn't carry Hamas or Hezbollah flags, cover their faces or incite hatred. And according to local broadcaster 85, 5 one demonstrator was stopped for carrying a flag that looked too much like a Hamas flag but was allowed to continue after closure inspection. The demonstration passed off peacefully, although riot police was drafted to disperse a small group of pro-Israel counter-demonstrators on nearby Bursplein. There were also some small airplane planes that were flying over, right, with banners saying "Make Hummus Not War" or something like that. Uh, yeah, we love Hummus
0: Not Hamas and things
1: like that. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it was a bit odd. Very odd. Very odd. And. And on Wednesday, another pro-Palestine demonstration near the International Criminal Court in The Hague attracted around 500 people, but it had to be broken off after demonstrators started throwing fireworks at the police. Action groups also projected the Palestine flag on landmark buildings such as the Euromast in Rotterdam and the Dom Tower in Utrecht.
0: Well, of course, EU leaders had a meeting on on Tuesday. What did Mark Rutte have to say after all that?
1: He said the uh, EU leaders are united in their approach to the war on the Gaza Strip. Israel must be able to defend itself against terrorist attacks, but humanitarian measures such as food, water, power and fuel are needed for the people in the affected areas, he said. The EU must do everything it can to prevent the war from turning into into a regional conflict. Rutte repeated that the Netherlands remains firmly committed to Israel, but he added we expect Israel to stay within the boundaries of proportionality and international laws on warfare. He also announced that the Netherlands is allocating a further 10 million euros to the humanitarian operation in the Gaza Strip.
0: I mean Dutch politicians have been you know, pretty united in their sort of approach and their response so far, but there's been some division, and I'm not quite sure, between the PvdA, Labour and, and Green Left what what's that about?
1: Yeah, re- recently they have uh, teamed up. They have formed the uh, an alliance and they are uh, they have formed a, a, a joint list uh, uh, f- for the upcoming general elections. And traditionally PvdA has been, yeah, more in favour of Israel whereas GroenLinks Links has always taken the side of Palestinians. Well, when they formed the alliance um, the, um, uh, the, the war on the Gaza Strip wasn't an issue, but of course in, in, in a couple of weeks ago it has uh, stirred up again, and that caused some friction in the newly formed alliance. Uh, Frans Timmermans, he's the leader of, uh, of, of GroenLinks' PvdA, uh, he was originally a PvdA politician, and he issued an, uh, a statement after the Hamas attack, uh, and that was criticized by the Green Left Wing, Uh, because he didn't express concern for the Palestinian people enough in their view. Um, This statement was also co-signed by GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. And the alliance in the Tweede Kamer also voted in favor of a controversial motion in support of Israel, tabled by the Orthodox Protestant and pro-Israel SGP. At the joint party conference last weekend, Timmermans attempted to uh, yeah, iron out uh, the, the, the issues uh, by saying that the humanitarian law must be respected and Palestinian citizens in Gaza must not be collectively punished. This wasn't enough for Goenling's MP Kauta Bukhalit, who announced on Saturday evening she was she has withdrawn as a candidate for the November 22nd election in protest of the alliance's stance on the violence by Israel in Gaza. She said that the context was conspicuously misguided From last week's statement, and uh, yes, she wasn't happy with uh, Timmermans' clarifications on Saturday. She also has been very pro-Palestine, and uh, yes, she said that she can't live with uh, with the New Alliance's stance on uh, on on the conflict.
0: Which they've sort of softened slightly since. Do you think this is going to become a big political issue uh, during the campaign? Is it going to take over?
1: it it depends on on um it it really depends on how the conflict is going to uh pan out because uh yeah if it if it uh, remains uh concealed if it is resolved in the near future i mean uh, we have 4 months to go uh, sorry, four weeks to go until the general election. Um, it 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 it's it might not be an issue, but if it really turns into an international global conflict or regional conflict, as as Macruto was uh, was saying, that uh, that's something that needs to be prevented. Then it can be a a, a, a an election topic. Currently, only two percent of voters are concerned about um, the conflict, uh, which was uh, shown by a, uh, a Ipsos uh, survey, I believe. Um, so not too many people are concerned about it but of course it is within uh hunlings ver- they have a very strong pro palestinian uh wing so yeah for them this is of course a a much more important issue than than for the general uh, electorate i think um so within this alliance it can be a re- it can become a real problem i think yes
0: With just one month to go before the general election, um, we thought it was the right time to have a look at what Dutch newsreaders think about it all. Um, we've been running a survey. Um, we've closed the poll with over 17. We promoted it very much on the podcast. You were probably. fantastic. <laughs> and we had a lot, of, a lot of people. And I actually wanted to thank the people from the podcast for taking part because... We've had over 1,700 people took part, which is really good uh, for something. Which is almost as many people as the Ipsos survey I just mentioned. There you go. (laughs) There you go. So, first of all, most of you who can't vote because you're not Dutch think you should be able to vote if you're a taxpayer (laughs) and have been here for about five years at least. In fact, 75% of the respondents felt... No taxation without representation, which is an interesting number. Uh, And it makes sense, really, when you think about it, because the non-Dutch national population's growing. I mean, in cities like Amsterdam, 20% of the population can't vote in the national elections. And that's a lot of people who have no say in how their taxes are being spent.
1: Um, and uh, how about their voting intentions? Because we also asked uh, them about uh, about that, right? Yeah, yeah, we did, and that's very interesting because if uh, Dutch
0: news readers held sway, we would have a two-party government in the Netherlands. Oh, really? Yeah, it would be made up of GroenLinks and the PVV alliance and D sixty six. GroenLinks PVV far ahead, thirty five percent support. Uh East second place with 17 support. Between them, 52% of the vote. Two-party coalition, no problem. Smooth transition of power. Franz Timmermans, Prime Minister. There you go, Bob's your uncle.
1: Easy. Uh, And just to make a a comparison, uh, so... 35% Uh, 35% of our readers would vote for GroenLinks PVDA. Currently, that is 15% uh, for the for the whole je- uh, uh, Dutch electorate. Yeah. And d 66 is even. They uh, they pull now at around four and a half percent. So uh, yeah, I think these parties uh, it is in their interest to uh, to give, let us, the, give uh, us give yeah, us give us t- votes. <laughs> give us votes,
0: guys. You're going to do well. Yes. The third party among our readers is uh, VVD with 13% okay. support. And the fourth is VOLT, the Pan-European Party, which Uh is also an interesting one. And the newcomers, pro-farmers, BBB and Peter Omtzigt's new social contract. Nowhere. Not much impact on our readers at all. And both would have about 4% support. So a completely Hmm. different picture, actually.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, So those are the numbers for people who cannot vote in the election. How about the readers who can vote?
0: Well, I haven't gone in and and pulled them out uh in great detail yeah i need to look at them properly we've only just closed the poll but uh, in fact 22 percent of the people who took part can vote in the election Hmm. uh, which is people who are dutch people who've converted to become dutch um which so it's an interesting sort of mixture uh I've looked at their voting plans. There's a little bit less support for the Pay for night and GroenLinks, Links, but not much. And a little bit more support for the VVD Day and for Peter Omzicht. But the numbers are so small, I can't really, you know, say whether that's actually how it how it is. But there seems to be it seems to be a little bit more Dutch, if you like, but but still, you know, way out there ahead, Pay for Night yeah. and GroenLinks. So they know where to advertise, put some of their advertising money on Dutch news, because our readers vote for them.
1: And uh, we also asked about uh, what issues matter most to them, right? So uh, w- what are the big issues among our readers?
0: Uh, the biggest one by far is the cost of living. Uh, and even though people always say foreigners are, you know, got loads of money, it's obviously not true. That's a big problem. And then climate change was second on the list. So it would make kind of sense that GroenLinks pay for our sort of preference, if you like uh healthcare system also is number three and trust in the government and institutions was number four so there's some hope for peter Omzigt and his call for decency uh there if you like um housing right up there of course too people concerned about the lack of places to buy or to rent uh, because of course the rental market's shrinking uh and uh immigration and refugees interesting not an issue really but 22% were concerned about the increase in hostility towards expats, mm. which is a problem in places like Amsterdam because they get blamed for everything. But um, we're going to look into that in more detail in the new year. We're going to do another survey then, which is going to focus on discrimination and, and look at that in a bit more uh, bit more detail.
1: How many participants did we have in this poll? We had uh, 1,735. Okay, well, then uh, I have to make a, uh, a small correction. Uh, the Ipsos survey was a little over a thousand people who took part. So uh, yeah, we had a, 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 a larger sample group. Um, but among Dutch voters, the, the main topics uh, uh, yeah, they are concerned about is uh, healthcare, cost of living crisis, housing. Then immigration, uh, followed by climate, uh, climate change and um, uh, trust in government. So uh, a kind of similar, similar distribution uh, among, uh, among our readers and, uh, and the Dutch electorate as a whole.
0: But just different parties to, uh, to make it a reality and bring about change. Yes.
1: <laughs> Energy Minister Rob Jette announced that 8 billion euros a year is to be invested in expanding and strengthening the Dutch electricity grid from 2025. This year, the government is allocating 5 billion and 6 billion next year in solving the electricity grid's lack of capacity, which has been worsening for some time. The investment to speed up the expansion process is needed to meet increased consumer and industry demand and prevent bottlenecks in parts of the grid. Some major users already couldn't set up businesses, for example in uh, Noord-Brabant, due to an insufficient grid capacity. But this could also be the case for domestic users in part of Flevoland, Gelderland, and Utrecht by 2026. The sharp increase in rooftop solar panels, uh, and uh, given that we need to to to, buy, to build, what was it, uh, 900,000 houses or something? Yeah. This is quite an issue. Um, the sharp increase in rooftop solar panels and electric vehicles have also put pressure on the, on the electricity grid. Measures are also being taken to encourage industrial users to reduce their energy consumption during peak hours and to boost the use of batteries.
0: Paul, this has been a problem for a couple of years. Why are we still farting around? Why has there not been let's sort this problem out? All they're doing is, you know, taking a A little bit longer and a little bit longer. and Why can't we get things done in this country, Paul? Why does everything take so
1: long? Uh, Partly it is because of the bureaucracy. Um, If you just want to expand the electricity grid, it can easily take 18 months to to get all the permits in order. Um, So that takes quite a long time. And part of the... Uh, yeah, plan of attack of Ropietta is to reduce this level of bureaucracy and to reduce it to yeah a, a, a month or so. Or so. so that, that is acceptable, but but one and a half years is just way too long, uh, and that is just um, uh, hopefully part of the uh, uh, part of the solution. Another thing is that every square meter in this country is allocated right and uh, there is a master plan and municipalities and provinces have said well this part of the uh, 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 of, of 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 the provinces is devoted to 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 this um purpose and yeah whenever you want to change that it means that you have to go through uh, well uh, endless endless thing. procedures and, and endless legislative procedures and um uh, well, what also comes on top of that is that um, uh, neighbors, for example, often go to court whenever there is a change of, of, of plans, and that also yeah, results in endless legal procedures, and they, uh, they are just uh, taking things to court until... Uh, the highest court, the, the Council of State, uh, and that can easily add a couple of years uh, to to um, to these sort of projects as well. So bureaucracy um, uh, um, um, uh, and not uh, in my backyard. Cases, yeah. Not in my backyard. It is I, it is um, frustrating.
0: I was reading this morning that Amsterdam, which has got plans to build three ginormous wind turbines on a on the edge of a lake in Nord, this has been you know part of their we have to have wind turbines in the city. God knows why, but we do. Uh, they're building them on the edge with other places and the other places have now, Ozan yep. and have gone, hang on, I don't think we really want these. And it's like, guys, is nobody thinking yeah. and you know looking at this. I mean, you can say to Amsterdam, we're building them on the edge of Amsterdam, three giant turbines, but they happen to overshadow little villages that are not in Amsterdam. It's very peculiar. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It makes you wonder whether we'll ever get rid of, you know, gas and go go sustainable. When you think about it, or we all need to have batteries. Maybe that's the way—a storage place, you know, to put your solar power and keep it and not feed it back to the grid, and then there's no problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that uh, uh, brings a lot of other problems uh, with it as well, because where are you going to find the heavy metals uh, which you need for your battery? And Usually the from Russia. What's happening in Russia right now? Oh. Well. And you've got Um, the
0: engineers to do all with this as well, because we haven't got any people. But there is some news on the unemployment rate, I think, this week.
1: The unemployment uh, rate is continuing to creep up, according to new figures by the Central Statistics Agency, CBS. Unemployment has now reached 3.7%, which is still uh, very low. um, And that uh, translates to 370,000 people who don't have a job. Uh, The CBS says the development fits in the wider economic picture. Especially youngsters under the age of 25 are jobless with 8.8% of them being unemployed. And that's a rise of uh, half a percentage point on uh, June. In total 3.6 million people aged 15 to 75 didn't do any form of paid work last month, with 3.2 million of them either pensioners, students, or uh, being unable to work, and they are not officially counted as uh, unemployed. Although the um, unemployment rate is rising, the number of people claiming jobless benefits has gone down slightly compared with August, and year-on-year, the number of uh, WW claims, uh, we uh, we, we, uh, abbreviate the uh, the jobless benefit as WW, that has uh, gone up with 2%. These are, uh, I, I I never understand how that works uh, <laughs> um, uh, unemployment error, uh, is going up but uh, the, the benefits are going down uh, ah
0: yeah. no but that's because of the type of benefit you can only get VV if you've worked for a certain number of years so if you're on a short term contract mm. you're not entitled to it quite often it's a, it's right. a bit of a sneaky statistic uh, but, okay. but these are trivial. I mean these are percentage points aren't they I mean I'm surprised yeah. 8.8% of young folk without a job because you know there's nobody, bars and places are crying out for people to come work, but... Um.
1: Yeah, that's right, but yeah, that's uh, also, uh, it also consists of, of, of uh, youngsters uh, from the age of 15, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Many, many, many 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, they, they just don't need to, they need. They don't need a, a side job because um, yeah, their parents pay for everything, for example, but they are counted in these statistics as well.
0: It's very complicated, the whole unemployment, uh, the whole unemployment thing, I think.
1: Yeah, I always uh, I was zoned out at my uh, economic classes at high school when uh, when uh, uh, unemployment was being discussed because I could never understand what, 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 when when someone is counted as unemployed and when not. So, uh, yeah, I uh, it, it it remains a little bit of a mystery for me as well.
0: It will be interesting though when the parties get their way and we stop all these foreigners coming in here to work. Who's going to do all these jobs that they're not able to do anymore? Or maybe maybe that's it that's when we solve the you know the farming crisis we close down all the farms and the
1: abattoirs ah. because there's
0: nobody to do the work perfect solved yeah
1: and then we release a a a a, a large group for the workforce yes yeah.
0: excellent idea <laughs>
1: Now the frietbakjes tax will hopefully be abolished soon or, or you have sold your Van Gogh Pokemon card for an outrageous price, why not spend uh, the money you saved or earned to help your favorite podcast in the air. Every week we do our best to keep you up to speed with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. Making the podcast does take up a fair bit of time and every euro you can spare helps us to put in the hours to make our bulletins as extensive, up to date and well informed as possible. New patrons get a shout-out and we say uh, thank you to uh, yeah, our new patron supporters. Uh, this week that's uh, someone called Overhand Placebo, uh, Simon Reeves and Steve Morgan. So thank you uh, for your support. You now have access to our exclusive content, uh, such as the series on the 15 largest political parties uh, competing in the upcoming general election. And this week we discussed the uh, three Christian parties, so uh, you have something to look forward to. Um, You also have a chance to uh, ask us a question. This week we don't have any questions, but if you have one, uh, feel free to ask. And if you'd like to get access uh, to our uh, exclusive content as well, um, and have the general sense of satisfaction that comes from supporting a good cause, get along to our Patreon page and sign up at patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL.
0: The surcharge on disposable plastics, which was introduced earlier this year, may well be heading to the rubbish bin if the government has its way. You mentioned the uh, frietbuckers tax there, Paul. Um, The charge on takeaway cups, plastic containers and other single-use plastics was meant to reduce the amount of plastic litter, which in the Netherlands apparently amounts to some 19 million pieces every day ending up in the garbage. Every day? Apparently so, yes. I mean, it's extraordinary. And that number is supposed to be halved by 2026, three years away. You know, let's keep the the deadlines going ahead of us. But government inspectors have said that the surcharge is unenforceable, susceptible to fraud, and that this is something they knew about before it was introduced. But the ministry went ahead and did it anyway. Now, the lower house has voted for a motion supporting getting rid of it. Um, they say the plastic tax has to go away as quickly as possible because, despite paying for the plastic, the consumers still throw it away. Nobody knows what happens to the money that they're paying the five cents or 20 cents because the companies don't have to do anything with it. And the inspectors actually say that's more symbolic legislation and it would be better to ban the use of disposable plastics altogether rather than bring in these complicated and unenforceable rules
1: yeah well we know what happens with that uh, with that uh, surcharge right it just goes into the pocket of whoever's selling uh, uh, the coffee or the uh, or the takeaway uh, food so um, yeah it was just basically an increase uh, of ten to fifteen uh, cents uh, on, on, on the products you were buying um, but what w- what is the bottom line here
0: well it's just a confusing policy that that was introduced and I mean it took a long time to come into effect it stems from European Union legislation and it just doesn't seem to do anything. I mean, the rates, rates vary from business to business. So you don't know how much you're going to have to pay. Some people yeah. are charging five cents for your fleet's bucket. Some people are charging 20. Some people have lowered it down to one so they can compete with their yeah. their neighbours. And of course, that doesn't encourage anybody not to use recyclable, you know, single use plastics. And you're not going to go down to the chippy and pick up your chips with your plate, are you? I mean, it's a, it's a sort of, I don't know. Somebody never really thought properly about how this was going to work.
1: And um, I think the 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 uh, information campaign uh, on this uh, charts, uh specifically mentioned that you should uh, go with your plate to uh, to your snack bar to get your uh, to get your fries. So no, they did think about it. Uh, they just um, yeah didn't. Uh, <laughs> they didn't take human nature into account, how, really. No, <laughs> indeed, yeah. <laughs> it's the same really if you look at
0: you know bottles and cans i mean that's not going particularly well either i mean government inspectors said this week that the private sector is not doing enough to make sure that plastic bottles and cans are being collected and they need to take concrete action by december the 1st otherwise they could start issuing fines i mean they first sounded the alarm at the beginning of september when it turned out only 68 percent of small plastic bottles are being recycled and the legal total is the legal target is 90 but then you look at it and you see that 20 percent of the plastic bottles which should be recycled don't have a deposit on them because they're dairy product and fruit juices and and it's like so actually you could only maximize 80 percent i mean i'm sorry it's all figures and it kind of gets a bit lost but I do know that the plastic bottles and can thing is having a fantastic effect on childhood entrepreneurs. There are loads of them. Have you had them at your
1: door? Uh no not at my door <laughs> fortunately but uh whenever i go to the supermarket the line in uh, in front of the um the machines where you have to uh, uh um yeah hand in your cans and your and your bottles it's just so long and uh it it discourages me to 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 actually go there because yeah i only I only buy a can once a month or something, or a or a or a uh, or a bottle with uh, with a surcharge, also once a month. Yeah, I'm not going to wait in line for 20, 30 minutes for 15 cents. Uh, so no, it's. Um,
0: do you have kids uh, living next door? Because this is what you need to do. You need. to... I have. There's two little girls come to my yeah. door every two weeks to collect my Early. bottles and cans, and they keep the money. I don't ask for it back. They take them away, and they get the money, and they. They earn a nice little bit. I asked them one time. I saw them. They had a special, you know, bin that they were collecting things in. They make a fortune.
1: It's brilliant. Do you, do you think? Do you think they are included in the uh, in the unemployment rates of the CBS or not? I think these are younger. They're under
0: fifteen. <laughs> They're under fifteen, and uh, you know.
1: They're under fifteen.
0: Yeah, I have to say that these are not the same. 13 year old that i am negotiating with about the pokemon card okay it's a different different group but different breed but they're fantastic and i mean well you know what it's like you walk past any bin it's been torn open by somebody looking for a bottle to to go in there and they look really sheepish if you see someone at the supermarket with you know 40 empty bottles you think are you drinking all that cola or
1: yeah, and especially the complaints in Amsterdam have been uh, have been uh, yeah very much right. Oh god,
0: yeah, I mean it's extraordinary. I mean you walk through the city centre and all these bags are torn open, and you used to blame yeah. it on the gulls, you know, but uh, now you just yeah. blame it on <laughs> people looking for plastic bottles and and or cans, and you just think you know bring a bag with you and put the stuff in there, you know, once you finish going through it, but. Uh, They're adding, you know, extra little bits onto waste bins so you can leave your can there for somebody to pick up who needs it more than you do. But that's, you know, none of that really is solving the basic problem. If you want people to hand them back in, you've got to charge a hell of a lot bigger deposit uh, or it's just not going to happen. As you said, you're not going to be bothered to wait for half an hour for 15 cents.
1: Eighteen years after American teenager Natalie Holloway disappeared in Aruba, her long-suspected murderer, the 36-year-old Dutchman Joran van der Sloot, finally admitted to killing her, putting an end to what her mother Beth Holloway called a very long and painful journey. Beth Holloway was speaking to reporters outside a courthouse in Birmingham, Alabama, the family's home state, after Joran van der Sloot confessed to trying to extort $250,000 from her in 2010 in exchange for information of how Natalie died and what happened to her remains. The information he provided at the time was false. The confession was part of a plea agreement with prosecutors where he received a 20-year reduced sentence for admitting the details of Natalie's murder. Natalie Holloway, who had uh, just graduated from high school in 2005 and was celebrating with classmates in Aruba, was last seen leaving a nightclub with Van der Sloot, then aged 17, when she disappeared. Van der Sloot was arrested after her disappearance, but was released due to lack of evidence and he was never charged. Disclosed court documents included excerpts of a statement Van der Sloot gave to his lawyer earlier this month. Van der Sloot described brutally attacking Natalie after she tried to fend off his sexual advances on the beach by kneeing him between the legs. He said he then kicked her extremely hard in the face, at which point she was even dead, but definitely conscious. He said he then picked up a large cinder block and used it to, quote, smash her head in with it completely. Um, And after that he dumped her body in the ocean and walked home. Um, You have brutally murdered, in separate instances, years apart, two young women who refused your sexual advances, the judge told van der Sloot, referring to the 2010 murder of a Peruvian student, um, Stephanie Flores, for which he is already serving a 28 year for which he is already serving a 28-year sentence in Peru. Van der Sloot was extradited to the US earlier this year, but will return to Peru to serve his two sentences concurrently. And Natalie's remains were never found, and in 2012 she was declared dead by a court. She would have turned 37 this week. And according to the Associated Press, Beth Holloway addressed Van der Sloot from a courtroom podium. You are a killer, she said. I want you to remember that every time that jail door slams. Yeah, um, this um, this murder case uh, or disappearance case, and now murder case, uh, has been yeah in the Dutch media ever since uh, it happens, right? It yeah, was, absolutely. Uh, t- 2005. Uh, it was a huge huge media storm surrounding this, especially uh, yeah because Joran van der Sloot was uh, the initial suspect, and in um, 2008. He was um, yeah, caught in a um, uh, hidden camera TV show by uh, Pe- Peter R. de Vries, the murdered uh, crime reporter, uh, in which van der Sloot had already confessed uh, to the murder of Natalie Holloway, but that didn't have any um, yeah, legal, uh, legal status. So he couldn't be uh, charged after that confession. But after that, everyone knew that, that, that he was indeed uh, uh, the killer. Uh, do you do you remember that uh, that broadcast, uh, Robin? Oh yes, I do very much
0: so. Uh, I, I, the whole thing. I mean, in fact, the the case basically coincides with the length of time Dutch News has been around, and hmm. we've followed it, you know, all that time. And it, it's an extraordinary case, and and a, a very complicated one. And he must have been an extremely troubled young man. You know, we know in Aruba he'd been in trouble before. He came from a rich family. He was, you know, off the rails uh, basically. I think, at that time. And I, I, I noticed this morning that uh, Aruba has now said it might reopen the murder case itself to look mm. towards actually having a trial there. I don't know whether that will happen or not, but I think for the family, it must be, you know, good in a way to have closure and to know what happened to your daughter. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just an awful story. And, and one of those sort of cold cases that that dominate and, and continue to sort of reverberate all over the place with everybody.
1: Yeah, and uh, Peter De Vries was heavily involved in this case. Um, that broadcast uh, with the uh, hidden camera. Um, do you know how many million people watched that show? I don't remember now. It was seven million. Goodness and me! that is a huge number for for, for Dutch uh, standards. Just to make a comparison, uh, the royal wedding was watched by six million. So uh, yeah, a million more people were interested in uh, in in, in Joran van der Sloot's confession. Um, so yeah, and and then. Uh, of course, he, he, he left the country after, after that. He went to Peru and uh, yeah, uh, murdered a, a young student there as well. So, uh, yeah, it is, um, he's uh, serving now 28 years in Peru. And, uh, yeah, there comes whatever he gets convicted to in, in the U.S. as well. So, um, yeah, he's uh, locked away and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's for the best.
0: Now, Paul, you thought that you could escape the cricket because Gordon's not here, (laughs) but I'm afraid you can't. Okay, there is no getting away from the fact that the Dutch are responsible for one of the biggest upsets of the World Cup so far, beating South Africa, who are one of the favourites to take the title. An unbeaten 78 from Scott Edwards, followed by disciplined bowling, I'm told. Uh, rerouted the pre the pre tournament favourites by thirty eight runs uh, on Tuesday, so there you go, big breakthrough. And yeah. uh, Edwards actually um, helped the Netherlands clinch only their third ever World Cup cricket win in twenty three attempts, adding to their wow. victories in Namibia in two thousand and three and Scotland in two thousand and seven.
1: And now beating uh, South Africa, so uh, yeah, very uh, sensational win, uh, very well done uh, by uh, by Orange. Um, I haven't heard a lot about uh, this win in the Dutch media. I think M- maybe I have been, haven't been paying attention. Uh, Robin is. Uh, <laughs> You've not been paying <laughs> attention, not- Paul. There's been quite a lot actually. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah? I mean. We
0: started covering cricket on Dutch News, what, two years ago? And I've noticed very, very little, but this victory, absolutely. There's been articles about total cricket. It's called Total Cricket, the way the Dutch play. Total Cricket, yeah? Yeah, Yeah. so Johan Kraft's legacy lives on. Nice. And Um, Marla, who's covering the tournament for us, uh, told me he'd actually sat down and had a chat with Logan van Beek, who's a key player, And they talked about the Total Cricket approach in a lot more detail. So I'm going to tell you the secrets of the Dutch cricket, if you'd like to know. Okay. Head coach Ryan Cook has come up with this thing called SOUL, which stands for Selflessness, Ownership, Unity and Learning. And every day during the training, a member of the squad is given a special hat for contributing to team values, which also ensures that no selfless act goes unnoticed. And the theme? Is
1: this special hat in the shape of a uh, wooden shoe? And is it orange? You know, I'm
0: going to ask him because I don't know. Gosh, that would be a very, very important fact. I haven't checked that yet I, w- I will, I, mean, I imagine it's just a kind of, you know, orange, probably orange though. I mean, because yeah, the Dutch definitely. play in orange, which is, you know, yeah. it would scare your opponents, I would have thought anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but there you go. So they, and the, the theme for the team was row the boat. So all the team members were given a small oar, and they had to write on it what they would bring to the team. And now it's the World Cup, it's sail the ship. And they even went, apparently, onto the canals of Amsterdam to learn how to row a boat
1: and work together. uh, But I have to say, a, a cricket bat resembles an oar a bit, right? Yeah. Absolutely, bit of a big one, but yeah, Yeah,
0: that makes perfect makes perfect sense actually. So I mean, they're working on it, and it is having an impact. And uh, what um, what uh, Van Beek said was that Dutch cricket now is where New Zealand cricket was thirty five years ago. So you know, there's there's a long way to go, but it's taking off hopefully. And I can just uh, mention um, rugby actually. Now Dutch are not, of course, in the World Cup rugby, but have you seen the crowds outside the bars when there are the matches? Yeah. It's extraordinary.
1: I, I saw because I, I think it was your photo, wasn't it? You went, uh, you went to look at uh, at the sports bar. I've been, I follow um, the World Cup of rugby as well. Uh, I uh, I enjoy that much better than uh, than football. Um, I had no idea it was so. Uh, uh, yeah it was so popular among uh, among Dutch people even though I th- w- 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 what was the type of crowd at that bar was it mostly Dutch or was it uh, was it internationals it was uh, it was a big
0: mixture actually and a mix. uh, I have a, I have a mate called Mike who's a Dutchman who's very big in the in the local rugby scene and he told me that that the crowd is very mixed but what this is doing it's the Dutch are getting enthused by the foreigners and are are becoming much more interested in rugby because of the foreigner presence. I have to say, Paul, my dad is very concerned about this development. Yeah. He does not wish the Dutch to take up rugby because he says they're too bloody big and too bloody strong and they will make meat <laughs> of everybody if they take it up seriously so we're not going down that road but you know it's great to see we're actually going to um, we're looking at the sort of Dutch Attitudes to Rugby for an article for Dutch News next week so uh, we'll know a bit more about it then
1: yeah the Dutch are of course uh, ridiculously tall people so yeah I think that uh, it's uh, uh, I, I can understand why why your father is, uh, is concerned about this Um But um, yeah, I I enjoy rugby. So I would would definitely like to see uh, a Dutch team having some international success. Um, So I'm looking forward to that, I have to admit.
0: There is one more bit of sporting glory we should mention.
1: Oh, and that is Ajax uh, is uh, is uh, well, not winning the men. Again or not? Not the men, the men. not the men, not the, the women. Men. Okay, the, the women. The
0: Ajax women's team have managed to qualify for the Champions League by beating oh, wow. Zurich twice. Now, they are the first Dutch club to qualify for the group stage of the Champions, the Women's Champions League competition. It brings them money, of course, but Ajax has also said that the first three home matches in the Champions League. Will be played at the Johan Cruyff Arena and that's the first oh, nice. time the Ajax women will pay at that arena rather than a, a one-off match against Feyenoord so you know it's a massive breakthrough in that sense so it deserves a mention.
1: It is especially a breakthrough because last time um, the Ajax women were a champion of some sort of uh, tournament I believe Um, Ajax didn't or or, or the stadium didn't even want to uh, celebrate their victory at the stadium right Um, and uh, they had to yeah, uh, 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 th- that caused some upheaval, and uh, as a result, they were they were huldered. There was a huldiging anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is definitely a change of attitude, and it might I I suspect that it has to do with the lack of success the men's team have <laughs> that uh, they are finally uh, finally switching uh, switching from this attitude. And well, it's a good uh, headline, so they- isn't it?
0: Ajax qualifies for Champions League. I mean,
1: yeah, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, especially in light of how the how the how the men's team is doing, yeah. And I uh, just to, we we just discussed the uh, the Christian parties in the Patreon uh, special, and the SGP um, has already allowed women on their candidate list. So Ajax f- has taken longer to appreciate women than SGP <laughs> did. Um, um, and um, is there any more sport on the horizon? Well, it's
0: autumn, so that means it's the start of the speed skating season. Oh. But we'll talk about that next week. I Thank think. you.
1: Yeah, there's nothing more boring than than the ten-kilometer speed skating yeah. distance. Uh, I can I can bear the the, the one kilometer and the five hundred meters, but just ten kilometers is just way too long.
0: I, I went to see it once. I thought I must go. You know, as a good you yeah. know fake Dutch For the experience, person, ten kilometers it, absolutely killing. Five is quite exciting
1: actually, but. Uh, no, got ten. Tennis too long. Did you actually go to the tee-off stadium?
0: I didn't actually. I went to the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam, where they were oh, doing okay. the European Championships. So uh, uh-huh. I saw, you know, Sven Kramer and Irena Vosst. I saw yeah. all the big names. So it was uh, it was very exciting. But of course, short tracks much faster, much more exciting yeah. uh, in
1: that way. But, but, but the fact that uh, the the stadium was very nearby helped you to convince to actually go there. Well,
0: yeah, but it was an experience because all this music, oompa music. Yeah. And Paul, and yeah. we are band. doing exactly what we said we wouldn't do. We're talking about the skating. Yeah, that's right. You can talk about it next week.
1: Okay, when Gordon is, uh, is back.
0: Revenge for the cricket.
1: That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com dutchnews.nl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Robin Pasco and not to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back next week.